Well, we got a guest speaker today. I've become very good friends with him, and um, I, he uh, he shared a, a word with me, and I watched him uh, uh, at, at his church share this word, and I said, "Man, you have got to come share this word, and and you know do it better than you did there, because uh, because our, our people need it." And uh, I just think it's uh, I'm just kidding about the do it better, because he is a pat- everyone knows CJ as a great worship leader. But CJ is not only a great worship leader, but he is a powerful, powerful preacher and speaker and man of God. I mean, he he has a word that the church needs to hear, and we get the opportunity to hear it before the world gets to, because I believe the world is going to hear his voice one day. So I want you to remember this, because we got to hear it before everyone else does. And this, so this, this is a very honor, this is a very honorable time that we get this deposited in this house. And I asked him to preach it not just because I wanted him to have a, a place to preach. That's not why. I believe this word is specifically something that's going to, that we need to go into what God has spoken over this house over the acceleration of the next two years. So I want y'all to stand to your feet as we honor C.J. Balding as he comes up and gives us the word of God. Amen. Amen. I um, <clears throat> I just want to say thank you to to Kyle because I have served in churches where I wasn't given this opportunity, and um, you know it's it says a lot for a leader over a group of people to have such a passion and zeal for discipleship and raising up other voices that they're not threatened by that they actually are, are championing those people to have a voice and to be able to speak. So um, I just, I greatly appreciate what, is he, what he's doing here and, and giving me the opportunity. I know he said specifically that this word he felt like was a, a word for this house, which I believe it is. I believe it's a word for all the church right now. Um, when the Lord dropped it in my spirit a couple of months ago. So... Um, I want, to, I want to just start by praying, just open up in prayer, and then um, I've got a word for, for someone that I want to give, and then I'll go into the message. So, Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to lay your life down and give us Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you speak and we listen that you move and we see and we obey and, and that you reveal to us all truth. You uncover the hidden things. And you comfort in time of need, God, and you counsel, you give us wisdom. So, Holy Spirit, we champion you today and the work that you're going to do. We thank you for angels that come and minister and, and, and co-labor with us as, as sons and daughters. We thank you for angelic ministry today, God, that you would send your angels to minister to those in this place. Everyone under the sound of my voice, God, let every single person who hears this today, who hears your words, God, let them be touched powerfully by you, that, that this would be a moment of repentance, a, a turning away from and walking toward promise and, 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 and living life of truth and sanctified life, set apart, chosen for such, for such a time as this, now, this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know your name. I don't know your name. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, you mind coming up here real quick, man? I got a word for you. I got a word in worship. I heard the Lord say street preacher. That, that there is an evangelistic anointing on you. That, that you, um, you've lived, a, like you've been in the street, you know kind of that culture. And, and God wants to use you to minister to people in the street. He's going to use you in, in areas, uh, I, see, I see literally, I saw a basketball court with like chain link fence around it. Um, I see you ministering to people in the street. And then I also heard the Lord say that all those, all the disorders and the reading disorder, dyslexia, any type of reading disorder, comprehension disorders, that he wants to break that off of you and that you will be able to read. You will be able to comprehend in, in what you're reading when you read the word that, that he's going to use you through evangelism. So right now, Father, I just speak over Jonathan. Jonathan? Right now, God, let the mantle and the fire of the evangelist fall on him right now. Come, Holy Spirit, 
and breathe on Jonathan so that he can do your work, so that he can go into the dark place, the hidden places, God, so that he can go to those unreachable ones, and he can reach them, God. Give him the platform, the authority. Thank you for the mandate on his life. Thank you right now, God, that the evangelist, that the, the, the ox, the one who plows, God, that you would give him strength, you would give him grace, you would give him ears to hear. God, you would give him a mind to perceive right now. Come and touch him, Father. Come and breathe on him the breath of life. Put fire in him, a fresh baptism of fire, God, that he wouldn't do it in his own strength, but God, that he would do it under the grace and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Come and touch Jonathan right now in Jesus' name. Amen, brother. Street preacher. So uh, I got this, basically I got this word. Um, I felt like the Lord wanted me to preach on awakening. I preached this message a couple of weeks ago. Um, actually, back in October, it's been a couple months ago. Um, that I got this word on awakening. And that the Lord wants to, he's doing an awakening. That, that there are, you see in history where there's been awakenings, there's been these moves of God where, where um, a body of people, uh, a culture was asleep and wasn't really functioning, that they had, their senses had become dull. And what happens is God comes in, breathes, blows, fire, baptisms, shakes them up, and then now this awakening comes, shift comes, culture changes, and then things are birthed from that. And, um, and so I wanted to first start by kind of laying out what is awakening, what is that defined as, what does that look like, and then give us some examples of awakening and what God has done in history and, uh, and what he's doing right now. So it may sound like a little bit of a history lesson. I promise you, you'll be touched by it. History is good. It's good to remember things that God has done. And so um, I appreciate your patience and all of that, okay? Y'all got to liven up a little bit. Can I get some smiles? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. So um, what is awakening? Noah Webster wrote the dictionary actually back in the 1800s, 1828. And so much of what our terminology has even changed through history um, to where certain meanings of words, even, even in our own government, the Constitution and what was things like that, that, that meant something years ago, the, there's lost many meaning through time. And uh, in, in 1828, Noah Webster defines awakening in a couple of different ways. He says, one, it's to rouse from being asleep, which is obvious when we think of being awake, um, to rouse from sleep. But it also means to excite from a state resembling sleep, such as death. Death, you see sometimes where, like when Jesus goes and he lays hands on, on, the, on the girl, uh, brings her back to life, he's, the, the, you know, the lady says, hey, come. The mama says, come, come pray for my daughter. She's dead. And then he says, she's sleeping. So it, it means to excite from a state resembling sleep as from death or to excite from a state of stupidity or inaction. To put into action or new life. And, and Noah Webster, what he actually did is he incorporated scriptures in these definitions. Like his point of reference was the Bible. And so in this, in this part right here where he talks about exciting from a state resembling sleep and so on and so forth, he, he quotes John eleven eleven, which is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for, for three days. And so he says these things he said, and after that Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Well, we know that he was dead, but here again, Jesus is referring to this as or death as being asleep. Webster also says it means to rouse from spiritual sleep. Our senses being spiritually dead. Ephesians 5.14, Arise, you sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. And here Paul is actually referencing the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel where, where Ezekiel looks over the valley and he sees this, this, uh, this vision of dry bones and, and then God says, what do you see? And then he sees the dry bones and then he says, speak to them that they may live. 
I love the fact that we even sung about that in, the, in worship today, about dry bones being alive and awake. Webster also says that awakening means to awake to righteousness, to come back to your right senses. 1 Corinthians 15.34, come back to your right senses and awaken to what is right. Repent from your sinful ways, for some have no knowledge of God's wonderful love. So much that we see today in culture, in the church, in America, is that there is such a perversion of truth. And there, it's, it's like just lawlessness is, is championed. It's, it's, uh, it's almost like um, it's, it's okay. We're so, we're so dead that we don't know we're dead. <laughs> A dead man doesn't know he's dead. And, and, and so much of the church has just been asleep and fallen asleep at the wheel, and they put it in cruise, and, and we're just completely dull. Our spiritual senses are dull. We, you know, so, so many in, in the body wouldn't recognize Holy Spirit. They wouldn't recognize what a move of God looks like. Their, their, their body, their physical body is, is preoccupied with sickness or preoccupied with um, lustful desire or whatever that, that it wouldn't recognize what God would want to do in a moment. If God said, hey, I want you to do this, you know, our ears are preoccupied with, with the news or music that's not edifying our, our spirit, that, that uh, we just have become spiritually asleep and our senses have been spiritually dull. So Webster, he, he uses all of these different definitions and there was even more um, that, he, that he referred to, but this is what, this is what history points back as what awakening uh, was supposed to look like or, or being, being asleep, this is what it looked like. So what are some examples of awakening? When we look back in history, there are, some of you probably are going to be familiar with some of these, but I'm going to start with the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening was a time in history back in the 1730s to the 1760s um, that occurred in Britain and the American colonies. And, and basically, there was a movement that was involving different ministers, and we are fortunate to actually that this move of God happened in this region. George Whitfield, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, to name a few, caused the stirring of the hearts and apathetic believers and led to an emergency or emergence of a theology of revival and salvation that transcended denominational uh, boundaries. Emphasis was placed on the providential outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Revival theology stressed that religious conversion was not only intellectual sent into correct Christian doctrine, but it had to be a new birth experienced in the heart. So this was basically when, when Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and John Wesley, when they came on the scenes, um, what, they, what they did is they said that you know this wasn't about how much you can have here, how much you can recite, how much you can know, how many arguments you can win, but how much you have in your heart, which really got back to what Jesus had brought on the scene, where he, you know, he's amongst the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's amongst the ones who could recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by, by, by memory. And he's having these intellectual debates where they're trying to pull him into a, an argument, and he says, no, it's about the heart. He knew the Word, but he also lived the Word. So George Whitfield, starting with George Whitfield, if he's going to put George Whitfield on the screen, uh, George Whitfield was the most popular leader in the First Great Awakening. He led the movement in the Georgia colony of Savannah. Um, there's, I think, the Whitfield House down in Savannah. Uh, there's a lot of history in Savannah pertaining to George Whitfield, and he preached unlike any person who had ever come on the scene during that time. Um, it is said that he actually preached in cemeteries. He would stand on the graves above people and preach uh, across the, the cemetery where people would come and gather and, and, um, and listen to him. His voice, the volume, the fervor, the zeal that he had was unlike anybody who had ever, who had ever come on the scene. 
during that time. Whitfield uh, cried. He danced. He screamed. Crowds were mesmerized by his fervor and his orator talents. Throngs of people would attend his outdoor services as many locations didn't have the capability to host, host such large gatherings. They would have these gatherings outside because the facilities, the buildings that were constructed, they, they just couldn't hold that many people, thousands of people, thousands of people. This is Billy Graham before Billy Graham where thousands of people would come and listen to this man preach with no microphone. It was uh, the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God to, to, to even, I believe, supernaturally increase this man's capability to be heard. His volume, something had to have happened for thousands of people to be able to hear him in, in these large gatherings. In 1739, Whitfield set out on a tour of the American colonies, of which he chose Philadelphia. He, the colonies were being established during that time, and he goes to Philadelphia. 8,000 people came to hear this man preach with no mic, no PA system. Street preacher. Unlike anybody who had ever come on the scene. John Wesley. There's also a statue of John Wesley in Savannah. He had a, a brief stint of history here in Savannah where he came. He was the leader of the Holy Club, which is, was a society formed for the purpose of the study and the pursuit of Christian life. That include, um, It included Whitfield and John's brother Charles. His teaching contrasted from that of Whitfield. Grace was on Whitfield, and then grace was on Wesley. Wesley's teaching was more on the notion of Christian perfection and that it is by faith that a believer was transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And the means of grace, there were different, like a, the grace, grace is actually what enables you to be able to live the life of holiness or, 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 um, you know, you may, like these gymnasts or, or, or ice skaters, that they say, no, she did that so gracefully. It's because there's, basically what they're saying is, she's been graced with the ability to do that that she did on an ice skating ring or on a, on a um, trapeze or what, whatever you have. Um, so basically what grace does is it, it allows this person to enter into a life of Christian perfection. Holiness, his, his emphasis was... Um, he restored the truth of holiness to the church, which holiness is something that the church doesn't even talk about anymore. There, the, the few churches that do pervert it in a way that it's legalistic. It's, you know, you, know, you can't wear earrings, you can't wear pants, you, 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 know, you can't talk, you, uh, you can't move, you can't lift your hands, you know, whatever the case may be. It's, it's been perverted. But what God is wanting to do during this, and in what he did in Wesley's time, restore this truth that holiness is vital. It is vital. It is imperative that you live a life of holiness. It ain't easy. You can't do it without Holy Spirit. Nobody knows holiness better than Holy Spirit. You cannot live a life. You can't do it in your own strength. It takes the grace of God to come on you, to make it to where you turn off the movie, to make it to where you get up from the movie, to make it to where you turn the radio station, or you say, you know what, that's enough, that's enough of that. You're, it gives you the grace to say, I'm not going to live this lifestyle. I'm not going to live in sin. I'm not going to partake of this. It's imperative. He's wanting to put his, his spirit in us, and we have to be holy. We have to live a sanctified life. This is what Wesley did. He restored this truth that holiness is imperative. It is necessary. And it is uh, achieved by the measure that God gives us of His grace. Jonathan Edwards was another leader in the Great Awakening. They all look like old presidents or something, don't they? Jonathan Edwards... 
was another leader in the Great Awakening, and he was most famously known for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If you have not read this sermon, I challenge you to read it. If you think you've heard a hellfire brimstone message, read this one, and you'll know you've heard a hellfire brimstone message. This, this man preached a hard word. But what he said was that it had, it had to be preached. This is the, 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 the body, the believers were so spiritually dead and apathetic that it took a hard word to shake them from this slumber. Unlike Whitfield, Edwards did not shout. He did not speak loudly. He moved his audience from point to point toward the conclusion that they were lost without the grace of God. And we are. Like I just mentioned, everything we do as a believer, if we do it in our own strength, it's works. You can't do it without the grace of God. If you're struggling with addiction, ask God for grace. Ask Him to to give you more grace. If you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with, shoot, parenting four kids, God, give me more grace. On your job, you're dealing with a boss. Father, I need more grace to be able to deal with what I'm having. To, what is it? What am, what am I here for? Why, am, why did you give me this job? Why am I here? What is it that you want? Give me the grace, God. Right now, Father, give every person in this place your grace, your amazing grace to do the work, to do, to steward what you want us to steward. Give us the grace, God, to parent, to be a spouse, to be a mother, to be a son. God, give us the grace to be a student, to be a disciple, a representative of you and your kingdom. To represent you in the earth. Give us the grace that we need in this season, in this time, right now. Jesus, thank you. Edwards basically said this. This, is, this was his, his, his sermon was that of grace, that we are lost without grace. Years later, the second great awakening occurred. It started in the late 1700s to the mid-1800s, and it was especially strong in the Northeast, United States, and Midwest. This awakening produced dozens of new denominations, including the free black churches. Also, the temperance movement that encouraged people to abstain from consuming alcoholic drinks and the abolition movement that fought to end slavery. Both of these movements were the results of this awakening. It's interesting that you see when a spiritual awakening occurs in the body, it shapes culture. It invades culture. God was doing a move in this church, in the body, and the next thing you know, churches were being established. Slavery was coming to an end uh, with the abolition movement, the temperance movement. It didn't just happen here in America. This was the same time of the Welsh Revival in Wales. And I want to read a passage of um, a testimony of this particular time in, in, during the Welsh, Welsh Revival where this child gives this testimony. This was in Coleran, Ireland in 1859. Revival had reached fever pitch. When a schoolboy testified in class of his great joy and finding the Lord, the Spirit began to move on the other students. This is his testimony. Boy after boy rose and silently left the room. When the master investigated what was happening to his class, he found these boys ranged alongside the wall of the playground, everyone apart on his knees. Their silent prayer soon soon became a bitter cry, which brought conviction to those inside. Not only the other boys, but to the girls' schoolroom above. Soon the whole school was on its knees. 
And its wails of distress brought people flocking in from the street who as they crossed the threshold came under the same convicting power. Every room was filled with men and women and children seeking God. When awakening comes, it invades every area of influence, media, it invades the education system. It invades entertainment. When he comes in with awakening, it shapes culture. His kingdom comes and it brings its government with it. It shapes everything we know. It, changes, it does away with old things and brings in new things. It creates the wineskin. For the new thing. It, it cuts off. It prunes this. So that new growth can come. It happens. It happened hundreds of years ago. If you want to see a move of God. Start in your home. Start. If you want awakening. Start in your house. Start with your children. Let your children lay their hands on you. And pray for you. Awakening, it's, there is no junior Holy Spirit. When God awakens your child, He can awaken you through your child. You see this in, 18, in Ireland. People that had nothing. Nothing. And yet God comes in and affects a school which changed a city. Started, started with one child's passion and zeal and his conviction. And the next thing you know, a whole classroom, a whole school, and then a whole city changed because of awakening. Because God gripping someone. Someone has said, I don't want to just go and go to school and just be a same old regular schoolboy. I want to be something different. I want to see something different. I want God to do something different. I don't want to be just an employee. I don't want to be just a pastor. I want to be something different. God wants to use, He uses different people to do different things. As simple as that sounds. But in the second great awakening, you see how this, this move of God started changing culture. Another awakening was the Pentecostal awakening. Dr. Bill Hammond wrote a book called The Eternal Church. And in this book, he goes through church history and he kind of lays out these different moves of God and awakenings. And he gives this account. On December 31st, 1900, Reverend Charles Fox Parham's Bible School held a watch night prayer service. One of the students requested that Parham lays hands on her. And pray for her to be baptized with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. The student received and began to speak in a language unknown to her. Some students understood that she was speaking in the Chinese language. While a halo seemed to surround her face and her head. She was unable to speak English for three days. And when she tried to communicate by writing, she invariably wrote in Chinese. After this experience, the rest of the students sought after and received the same experience. This event marked the beginning of the Pentecostal awakening in America, 1900. Six years later, God used a former student of Parham to escalate this truth to the world. That student was William Seymour, and that event was the Azusa Street Revival. Pentecost has come. Pentecostal awakening comes to the church. This movement changed the worship experience. Even things that we now experience in worship was birthed out of the Pentecostal awakening. We begin to see believers lifting their hands, clapping hands, shouting, Praise, dancing, fasting, 
and incorporating musical instruments. And all of this, again, you see a move of God, an awakening comes, and then there's new birth, there's new things that come from it. All of that that we even now express in our services, we expressed it this morning, was birthed from a move of God 120 years ago. Something that happened. All of these awakenings and movements result in the establishment or restoration of new truths. These truths require new wineskins. When God brings new truth, He brings something new, a new move. It requires a new wineskin. You cannot do the same old thing It won't work. You lose everything when you try to fit it in the old thing. You can't put the new thing in the old thing. Won't work. Which brings, that all brings me to now awakening, the now awakening, what God is doing right now. God is doing things right now. Sometimes it's hard to even know what He's doing because, you know, we get busy. We have families, we have jobs, we have life, but God is moving. Awakening is happening. When we, we my wife and I went to Washington, D.C. a couple, um, couple weeks ago, I guess, I don't even, months, a couple months ago. See? See what I mean? So we go to D.C. out of obedience. Um, I had a dream about Frederick Douglass. I was in, I was, uh, I don't know much about Frederick Douglass. I don't, I've never read a Frederick Douglass book. I never wrote a paper on Frederick Douglass. I just know that in my dream, I was in his study, in what looked like a study. There was books, pictures, tables, desks, old school. He had a vest. He had a white shirt on with a, a gray vest, no tie. And, um, and so I'm, I know that this is Frederick Douglass in my dream. There was just a knowing that that's who this person was. And so I, I woke up the next morning and I was kind of stirred. I was like, man, I looked up Frederick Douglass and I'm like, what does this mean, God? Um, and so I, I found that he has a memorial in Washington, D.C. Well, I'm 34 years old, never been to D.C. in my life. I don't know anything about D.C., really had no desire to go to D.C. But um, we find that this memorial service, or this memorial, this house that gives tribute to him and his life is in Washington, D.C. And so I told my wife, Kelly, um, the next morning, I said, I just had this dream about Frederick Douglass, and I was like, you know, I I feel like I'm supposed to go to D.C. And I kind of say this kind of stuff every now and then, like, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And, you know, sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. It's just, it's kind of like, I guess I don't take myself too serious, but um, I feel like I'm supposed to go to D.C. And she was like, well, why don't we go this week? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> the kids, She was like, the kids, are on, the kids are on break and we can go. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll go. Um, so I call. I call this, uh, this memorial house and um, they're closed because of COVID. I was like, well, you know, I guess we can still, we can, we can, we can still go there. We can still go to D.C. anyway. And she was like, well, what about your friend Jr. That um, where's he living? I said he's in Virginia. And um, I said, well, I can. She was like, well, we can swing by. I was like, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen him since 2015. So yeah, we can go. We can stop in through. We're going straight through Virginia. We'll just swing in and see Jr. and say hey. So uh, I called Jr. And um, I tell him, he answers the phone. He's like, hey, CJ, hey, I, I can't talk right now. I'm at the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Um, I'm working. I can't, I can't talk. And I was like, JR, call me back. That was how the conversation started. He answered the phone whispering and said, I'm at the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Uh, I cannot talk right now. I said, dude. I had a dream about Frederick Douglass last night. You have to call me back. So confirmation. He's speaking. Listen. I said, all right. God, we're going to D.C. Don't know what we're doing, but we're going. So I end up, uh, I talked to him the following day. 
And as I'm talking to him, he didn't say, yeah, man, Frederick Douglass, yeah, man, he was born in such and such. He didn't give me anything. All he said was, yeah, I, um, so I've been doing this, I've been doing this working for um, Frederick, the Frederick Douglass Foundation. I'm actually the president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation for Virginia. But this other guy, Dean Nelson, Dean Wilson, something like that, he's the president of it over the nation. And his brother-in-law is named Darian Somerville, and he's doing 50 Days of Blessing in, on Black Lives Matter Plaza in downtown D.C. That's what he said. He didn't say anything about Frederick Douglass or tell me about your dream. So when he said that, I was like, that's instruction. We're going to meet whoever we're supposed to meet. God's going to do whatever he's supposed to do. So we go to D.C., we drive up, and um, we go drop our stuff off the hotel, and then we go to Black Lives Matter Plaza. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you've never been to D.C., I don't know, I, don't, I can't speak for what it was years ago, 10, 20 years ago, but I can tell you there is such a spirit of Antichrist in that city, and, and it's, it is, it's, it's so weird because it's like you just know what that spirit is. I know this is a spirit of Antichrist. Do you know what that means? Not really, but I just know that that's the spirit of Antichrist. I can just sense that that's what this is. You get out there, and the, you know they're, the, the, they've got everything roped off, chained off around the White House, and there's cops, and there's homeless people, and then there's all this trash and propaganda and everything stapled and uh, zip-tied to the fence. You can't even see the White House because of all of this this altar that has been erected for all of this lawless mess. And, uh, and here we go. We walk across the street, and in the middle of the street, Black Lives Matter Plaza, is a group of worshipers with flags and worship. And, and I walk up to Darian, and I said, Dude, I know you don't know me, but I'm here to meet you. And I told him about the dream, and I said, I don't know what this is about, but we're supposed to do something at some point. This is what God has said. This is what he wants to do. Um, blah, there you go. And, uh, and he was like, man, thanks. I'm, that's so awesome. You guys drove, what, nine hours to get up here? Uh, yeah, with four kids. Kids running in Black Lives Matter Plaza, and we're like, come back. But uh, he's, it was so interesting to see spiritually what was going on we're standing there worshiping and this man walks straight through the 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 worship and starts manifesting i've never seen something anything like that i mean he's like just gestures just vulgar gestures and uh just an unclean spirit he starts manifesting, and then moments later, we, you know, we walk around the corner, and he's up there talking to a husband and wife like he's normal. It was just weird. Um, and, and what was happening in this particular move was people were coming up and getting saved without an altar call. They were just like, I don't know what this is, but can you tell me about this, that you're talking about, this Jesus, and giving their lives to God in the middle of an altar of idolatry, I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was weighty. It was weighty. We went to Nashville also a couple months ago. Um, I was invited to be a part of a, uh, a gathering of prophets in Nashville with Patricia King and Bill Hammond. And um, Elizabeth Time Fook and, and some other um, leaders, like national leaders. And so I don't really know anybody except a, a friend that's from this area, Miles Kilby, you may know. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know, we didn't know anybody. We were just here because we were here. We were asked to be here. So we're just here. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, these people are coming up one by one and they're kind of giving words. And they're, you know, prophesying. Some were praying. Some were giving little snippets. Um, but there were two individuals that, that their testimony 
really stuck out to me. Um, this guy named Joshua, Joshua Giles. He was from North Carolina, um, is from North Carolina, but God moved him to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Joshua is, uh, he was telling me about, or is telling everybody up there about um, how weeks after, I think, weeks after he moves to Minneapolis, George Floyd happens. And so this guy, in a foreign land, comes to a city, and then crisis, like big crisis. And so he's like given this account of, of how um, there was so much uh, vandalism and violence and, and, and all these people, whether they were native of that area or not, they had destroyed the, the businesses in that area, in that city. And so there was no way for people who were from there to get any goods. They couldn't go to the Walgreens to get medicine because Walgreens was burnt down. Um, they couldn't go to the grocery store because there was none. They'd been looted. And so he starts this ministry with some others in the area, some other pastors, and they start commuting goods to the city. They would drive to the suburbs an hour out, hour and a half, and they would get you know loads of groceries and loads of whatever and then bring it back, and they would give this all this stuff to, to residents in that area who did not have those resources. And so he's given this given this account, and he starts sharing with everyone that during this time, people's heart, it was, it was like the generosity of God reveals the nature of God, which reveals his love, and then people start getting convicted, like because you're showing love or whatever, and they started having these spontaneous baptisms in the street in Minneapolis, right where George Floyd was killed. And so... These people are getting baptized. Well, if you don't know much about Minneapolis, it is very a very prevalent area for Muslim. Um, there's a lot of people that are Muslims that live there. And so Joshua, black guy, is preaching, and other Muslims, also black people, see him, and he, he specifically said that they would listen to him because he looked like them, because he has a beard. And, and so they started listening to him because he looked like them. He resembled them. And so he's sharing with Muslims. And the news is there because the news wants to capture chaos. And so the news is there, and they're, you know, they're filming everything. They're filming the looting, the rioting. They're filming you know, this person saying, yeah, the cops did this, or this person saying, yeah, that, this happened, whatever. And Joshua starts sharing that the people that worked for the media with the cameras, he's ministering, and the camera people would pull their cameras down with tears running down their face, giving their lives to God because they were like, who is this Jesus? What is this? This doesn't sound, this doesn't sound, this truth doesn't sound like what I've heard before or what has been rumored that the church, this is what the church is supposed to see. This is what they're supposed to sound like. The media only knows what the church sounds like from what the media says the church sounds like. But when they experience something and something in them begins to awake, they turn their life to God. Muslims being converted on the streets, spontaneously getting baptized, giving their lives to Jesus. Powerful. Another lady, she, um, I don't know how much of what she does is private, so I'm not going to share her name, but she's giving this account. She was rescued from sex trafficking. She was trafficked. And um, got delivered from it. And she's, uh, she was sharing in her testimony that these women, they're going into brothels. And women are getting saved in brothels. That they are giving their lives to God. Prostitutes turning their lives over to God in brothels. That this awakening isn't just happening in places where you would expect it to happen. It's happening in the, in the dark place. When light, when light shines, it shines where we can see and it shines where we can't see. It invades the, the dark places. When His Spirit is poured out, the Bible says that it's like living water. The thing about water is when you pour it out, it spreads. 
It, it, it goes around the corner where you don't see. It goes into the low places. It, it, it touches things that you didn't think it could touch. You could have it in a wall, and you're like, how the heck did it even get in there? His spirit is being poured out, and it's invading the hidden places, the places around the corner that nobody knows. It's going into the low places where nobody sees, where nobody wants to go because it's uncomfortable. But his spirit is being poured out. Which brings me to my last point. Who is awakening for? It's for anybody who wants to be awake. It's for anyone who says, I don't want to be dead. I don't want to be spiritually asleep. I don't want to be lethargic. I don't want to be apathetic. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to, I don't want to just sit around and do nothing. I want to be used of the Lord. God wants to use you. You are here today not because you thought you were just going to come. God knew you needed to be here. And so he brought you here because he wants to touch you. He wants to mark you. He wants to put his hand on you. He wants to erase the stain. He wants to erase the stain of your past. He wants to erase the things that you got when you were lost. The scars where you cut yourself. The stains in your heart and in your mind. The trauma. He wants to touch all of those places. He wants to stir you up. He wants to awaken you so that you can awaken others. What's fascinating is when you look at Mary and she's pregnant with Jesus, she walks in to, to greet her, her family member, Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John. And what Mary was pregnant with made what Elizabeth was pregnant with to move, to stir, to awake. God wants to impregnate you. That's prophetic. There's somebody here who's been trying to have a child. The complications with pregnancy. God wants to impregnate you. He wants to put something on the inside of you that begins to show itself on the outside of you and that begins to be birthed. And then once it's birthed, change comes. Your life is changed. And then God uses that thing to change the rest of the world. Awakening. God wants to awaken us. So Father, right now, right now, Jesus, just begin to stir our hearts. Begin to stir our minds. Begin to shape our culture with your government, with your kingdom. Begin to establish your kingdom in our life, in our home. Change our life, O oh God. Mark us by your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus. Thank you, Father. Bring awakening. Wake us from our sleep. Heighten our senses, our spiritual senses. Shake us from our slumber that we would be watchful, steadfast in our prayers. Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Right now all across the room, I just want you to lift your hands. Now God. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't know who's here today. 
that knows Jesus and who's here that doesn't. But if you've filled the void of your heart with every drug, with every drink, with every song, with every lover, that void can only be filled by him, the lover of your soul. There's more to life than habits. There's more to life than your past and bad choices that remind you of your failures. There's more to life than the shame game. Just come now. Give your life to Him. If that's you, I just want you to come up here to the front, not to, to, not to embarrass you. He wants to touch you. He wants to touch you. He wants to put His robe on you. To take off the filthy rags and put His robe of righteousness on you. To put a ring on your finger. Call you son and call you daughter. If you're here today and you feel like you have been spiritually dead, spiritually asleep, slumber, apathetic, you're like, I have no zeal, I have no passion. I could care less. I want you to come here, up here to the front. I want to pray for you. Do not be afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. If you think that may be you, it's you. If you say, I don't feel dead, but I want more. I want more. I want the zeal of the Lord. The passion and the fervor of Jesus. The conviction of Jesus. I got to have more. I'm not content with what I have. I need more of you, God. I want you to come. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come, come, come. Come, Holy Spirit. And as we gather, as we come, just begin to give thanks. Begin to give thanks. Just give Him thanks. You enter into His gates with thanksgiving. You enter into His place of rulership with thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come now, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for this people, God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Long for you. Want more. Need more. Gotta have more. Thank you for change. Thank you for change, God. Thank you for change. Hallelujah. Thank you for change. Come now, God.